Stampede. Garner is in number 75, recorded 12-6-2020. I'm not a propagandist. Paid a lot of money to persuade people into believing a point of view. I'm an artist looking to see what is accurate. I haven't any political affiliation. I'm concerned about our future. I believe in creativity, imagination that comes from understanding beautiful things. Not the addiction to the cyber world of propaganda, that makes us tools of a bankrupt system. So normally I avoid talking about politics because it's an ugly business and it's become even more so for the last 50 years. Now, today, the thing about politics is that every politician says he or she is a patriot. More broadly speaking, they believe in our system in the values this country was founded upon, minus the introduction of slavery. Now, one of those principles is the belief that the people decide who our leaders will be. Personally, I don't believe that because this country is ruled by powerful individuals, organizations, and corporations. They attempt to persuade the people to deceive the people, to anesthetize the people into voting for someone or some idea. 
Now, I have no evidence to prove that the November 3rd election was fraudulent, but I wouldn't be surprised if it were, because fraud, corruption, deception, and violence has cast a long shadow over this country. You're ruled by propaganda, and the one thing propaganda won't tolerate is that America's democracy of free elections aren't legitimate. Prove that a national election was illegally conducted and you've got a big problem. If that is ever proven, the people who hold power may face ugly and violent ends. So I'm not an investigative reporter. I'm a speciest and I believe in nature without political affiliation. I'm a gadfly telling you what I see or feel. I'm going to offer an opinion on what may have taken place this November 3rd, and it should be considered just that. But real people, not propagandists, should consider its value. My take of the possibility of a November 3rd fraud began with mail-in voting ballots that were sent to millions of people, not to people who requested them for various reasons. No, this was a blanketing of mail-in voting ballots to millions of people who didn't request a ballot. That, in and of itself, should cause concerns. Historically, a little over 50% of the voting public ever vote in an election. There are 250 million people eligible to vote in this country, and only about 150 million actually vote. Now, you might ask yourself, why is this the case? Well, quite honestly, people could find voting is an inconvenience. It's time-consuming, and even for the elderly and the infirm, an impossibility. So, at face value, allowing people to vote by sending in unrequested ballots by mail to millions of people might sound like a good idea. My understanding is that people in almost every state must be registered to vote. I think North Dakota is an exception. If you just show a driver's license in North Dakota at a polling station the day of an election, you can vote if you're of age. So 
here's where a fraud can be committed by mail-in ballots. Someone must determine the names and addresses of people who are registered to vote. And this is important. Even if you aren't registered, your driver's license shows your name and address, and that's where a ballot can be sent. Now, if you're of a political persuasion and you have access to the names and addresses of everyone who has a driver's license in your state, you could greatly affect the outcome of an election by flooding the names and addresses of people who you believe will vote for a particular candidate. For example, let's say there are people who live in a county who vote heavily in favor of a specific political party. And next to that county, there are lots of people who vote for a candidate that support a different party. Well, the person who has the names and addresses of everyone that has a driver's license can flood one county with mail-in ballots while neglecting to send mail-in ballots in another county, thereby greatly influencing the vote count. That's how one fraud could be committed.
One way to illegally influence an election is to target and flood a community with mail-in ballots, while sending other communities less ballots. But that's not the only way. Not checking signatures is another. The November 3rd election could have been fraudulently conducted by not checking. To determine the authenticity of a signature is sometimes challenging. In Chicago, where I was raised, I regularly experienced elections with accusations of deceased citizens voting from the grave. It was a common joke and understood that on election day, machine bosses could get out the vote even if the registered voters were six feet in the ground. But today, that's small potatoes compared with the collection and verification of mail-in ballots. Usually, when someone walks into a polling place, someone sitting at a table checks your name, address, and your signature. And then you go to a booth where you close the curtain and vote on a paper ballot. Over the years, that process has been amended so that you face a voting machine and cast your vote on the machine. And at the end of the day, the machines in that polling station tabulate the vote. Of course, it was always questionable whether the machines were free of being tampered with. But today, the number of mail-in ballots are overwhelming. And accurately checking a signature might not be as effective as someone sitting at a table when you come to vote and checking to see if you're registered. Today, it's the machines that are most vulnerable. Since I haven't voted for years, I'm not entirely up to speed with the procedures of what happens when a mail-in vote is tabulated. It's my understanding A mail-in ballot has the name, address, and signature of the voter on the outside of the envelope and is scanned by a machine to see if it coordinates with the name, address, and signature registered. Of course, if the scanner is programmed to accept a voter's driver's license, It may not be coordinated with a signature, but only name, address, and license number, leaving signature out of the process. Yes, the ballot is accepted by the scanner, but only as a valid driver's license. The voter may not actually be registered. And as I said before, by zip code. One community can be flooded with mail-in ballots as opposed to another. An invalid driver's license can be used to approve a registered voter.
This is all speculation on my part. The scanner accepts the name, address, and sees that it coordinates with the driver's license number and not a signature. As a result, flooding unrequested ballots to a community can end with a skewed tabulation. It's a little like tilting a pinball machine to make the ball move in a particular direction. But putting that aside, another way to fraudulently affect the vote can be the machine that actually counts the vote. In our world of cyberspace, we know hackers are no strangers. There are people who are very proficient in getting into the program of a machine. It's always a question of who's doing the hacking. Personally, I can say for several months on my computer, while preparing my Garner Isn't shows, some of my narrative recordings were interfered with as if someone or something had entered while I was speaking on a recording, and a buzzing sound began for several seconds, blocking what I was saying. I believe it's a form of censorship. Each time I stopped playing the recording, determining whether it was a mechanical error on my part. But the buzzing didn't reappear. The sound was interjected into what I was saying, a form of hacking, a form of censorship, but disappeared. Well, when tabulating votes on a machine during an election, it's possible to rearrange the authenticity of a vote. Instead of one vote showing as one vote for a candidate, it might only show one half of a vote. Or done another way, one vote could be registered as one and a half votes. Either way, adding to or subtracting a percentage from a vote could easily change the outcome of an election. To be certain, these voting machines are claimed to be secure, free from being corrupted by bogus programs. But nothing is impossible. It's just sometimes difficult to detect it. And unless you have evidence to prove it, it can't be determined by a court of law. Which brings me to why, even if it can be proven, that something nefarious, like rigging a national election, is found. It can never be admitted to.
This country is in a lot of trouble, and it's not because a presidential candidate may have been elected by a fraud. No, that's not the real issue at work here. It's not the difficulty of proving to a court of law what took place. It's not even the question of who is the best candidate to lead this country. No, the truth of the matter is this country can't accept that one of its principles has been corrupted, that its future is broken. No matter how certain How obvious that something as important as a presidential election has been stolen and deceptively achieved, it cannot or will not be overturned. The concept of the will of the people no longer exists, and in fact, it may not have existed for a long time. What does exist is manipulation, deceit, corruption at nearly every level, and that can't be allowed to be revealed. You've been tricked into believing in something that hasn't been working for a long time and may never have worked. What is most important is that you never see the truth or that you should understand what you've become, that you're living a lie You can't be permitted to see that. You're to be used to further the big lie. Get back to consuming and keep the system rolling. That's what's important. The system is proving to be unmanageable, producing some very ugly things. You think you're free, but you aren't free. The decisions you make aren't from you. They're decisions that are being imposed on you. You've been told how to think for a long time now. Mental illness is the new normal. The saboteurs have arrived, and every night is going to be Halloween. You aren't safe, and neither is the electricity you use, the water you drink the food you eat, the air you breathe. The big tattoo is coming, and it won't be someone drawing a big heart on your skin saying, it's all good.
This week on Garner Isn't, you first heard the music from Jeff Zanelli's incidental score, I'd Take Out the Trash, from the movie Hitman. Then you heard a shortcut from Malcolm Arnold's Rhapsody for Orchestra, followed by another Arnold piece from the 1956 movie Trapeze, Fanfare, and the Elephant Waltz. Next, the music from the acclaimed 1941 movie Citizen Kane, composed by Bernard Herrmann, the finale of The Burning of the Rosebud Sled. Then from the movie Underwood Evolution, the music by Marco Beltran, Corvin Cruzen Crypt, and to close, Saint-Saëns' Dance Macabre, an 1874 composition. Stampede, written and performed by Edward Garner in Morro Bay and Paso Robles, California.